As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson, and Professor Alistair McGrath. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources, and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Well, let's move on to some of the sort of societal and cultural issues in the Space Trilogy, because that feels like a big part of what Lewis is trying to address. I mean, what's some, what are some of these big issues and are there any relevant parallels, do you think, to our world today? Or was he writing very much within the context of his own experience? Well, I think Lewis is writing um, from his own context and his own experience because he wants to engage questions that were significant at the time. Now, one of our problems is that um, uh, things have moved on, so uh, sometimes it's difficult for us to kind of step back into the 1930s and appreciate them. But one of them, of course, is the issue of vivisection. Uh, This was a very big topic at Oxford during the 1930s, and Lewis became very strongly anti-vivisectionist, and and that shows in all sorts of ways. For example, um, even in these three books, you can see Lewis's hostility towards those who experiment on animals because very often he feels they are not treating them with due respect and also they're using them for very questionable purposes. And of course, one of the points that's very often made by people who've read the Narnia Chronicles is look how Lewis respects animals. You know, he really is giving them almost like a personal identity, not because he's being childish, because he wants us to recalibrate our relationship with animals. I think that's a very important point. So Lewis certainly would have known about vivisection, would have been talked about in Oxford, um, and Lewis made it very, very clear that um, he took the view that human beings were better than other animals, and for that reason they had responsibilities towards animals. They couldn't just behave like animals, they had to show that they were superior by, in effect, being gracious towards them. So it's a very interesting idea and Lewis was one of the most widely cited critics of um, vivisection during the late 30s and, in fact, throughout the 1940s. So clearly, that was a very um, significant issue for Lewis. 
I mean, one of the things that I was really struck by was there's quite a lot of references to madness in inverted commas in the trilogy. We see Ransom, we see Jane, we see the narrator all fear that they've quote unquote gone mad at various points. Do, do we know if Lewis had much experience of madness? Um, I guess possibly not himself, but but with people around him, or was he echoing any particular opinions of his day when it came to madness and, and things like that? Well, certainly uh, at the time, um, madness was seen in effect as a, a real a real difficulty and mad people very often would have been described as lunatics and very often would have been taken out of society and put in asylums of some sort. If you were mentally ill for your own good, but also for the good of those around you, would be um, taken away and I say cared for. I have to say that's not the best way of phrasing it. Basically, the idea was to isolate them. A, so they would not be a trouble to other people. B, because they were a risk. They, 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 they might damage themselves. And Lewis is here reflecting on that character of madness. Is, is this just our way of referring to people who don't quite fit? Is this something real or, in effect, is madness simply being confronted with a situation which everything you have in your past does not prepare you for when you encounter it? And therefore, Lewis's descriptions of some of the scenes that are encountered in um, the science fiction trilogy very often use the idea of madness to, to in effect, say, I can't take this in. This is so strange. And you're saying, in effect, your mental inability to cope with this. Well, the obvious counterpart in everyday culture is madness. You know, I just can't cope with this. And therefore, the question being raised is when you encounter the strange, the other, is this going to, in effect, be something completely incomprehensible that makes you go mad? And it's, it's a very interesting way in which Lewis reflects on these questions. Well, we know, don't we, that mental health struggles are obviously, sadly, a huge issue today. I mean, obviously, it wasn't talked about necessarily as much in Lewis's time. But do, do you think he would have had anything to say about this almost kind of pandemic of mental health struggles that we're in at the moment? I think Lewis would probably be surprised at the extent of this because um, Lewis fought in the First World War um, survived the Great Depression, or all these things. And in effect, really, like so many people at the time said, you have to learn to take um, what you get. In other words, that life is not easy. And to survive, you have to be strong. And that means you have to develop coping techniques for very difficult situations. And in effect, Lewis learned how to survive. And I think that's very important. There were points in his life where he was very, very low particularly in the late 1940s. But uh, the, the point is, Lewis, I think, really felt that you had to learn how to survive. And I think he might be surprised at how, um, you know, well, nearly 100 years later, um, basically people don't seem to be very good at that. They seem to have to relearn the techniques that Lewis would have taken for granted in his own day. And of course, Lewis was someone who read medieval literature and one of the big themes in a lot of uh, medieval and Renaissance literature is how you cope with difficult situations, particularly bad memories or fears. And th there's a widespread stream of tradition of, of wisdom about how you could do this, which of course Lewis knew about. I think he might be surprised that we seem to have lost this in, in our own day. 
Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. So what would some of those techniques be, do you think, to help people cope with some of these difficult things? Well, one technique that Lewis talks about is the capacity to forget. I mean, not meaning accidentally, I can't remember, but rather saying, I am going to shut this down. I can't cope with it. And therefore, I'm just going to, in effect, put it to one side and not think about it. And of course, you might think of the trauma Lewis would have known um, during the First World War. And instead of dwelling on that and constantly calling it to mind, Lewis doesn't think about, doesn't talk about. One of the things that's very, very striking about Lewis is that he rarely, if ever, talks about the First World War because it, he, he couldn't cope with it. And talking about it would bring back the memories and hence really um, really put him under huge psychological stress. Lewis just doesn't do that. So it's a technique he's learned from earlier writers and he's put it to practice in his own life. Well, moving on to uh, another sort of cultural issue. Some people have accused Lewis in the past of being sexist. And do you think that's something that's evident in the Space Trilogy at all? That's a really interesting question. I think we, we can begin by saying that um, men play a predominant role in the science fiction trilogy. But of course, that would have been socially expected at the time. Uh, the, the language was always about men in space. That's all of idea. But um, the, I think there are, there are some other points we can make here. Um, Lewis certainly was entering into a genre where, in effect, the voyagers were always male. That was, that was, just, um, that was just the sort of unchallenged assumption of this kind of literature. But I think perhaps we can see Lewis um, developing a critique of this, particularly in the final volume of the series, That Hideous Strength. For example, one of the things that always really strikes me about that book is, um, where are the women? You know, that It's a very male novel. All the scientists tend to be men, and women play subordinate roles, but actually very interesting roles that often challenge the men. And I think I can see there the beginnings of a kind of critique of what was the social norm of the, that day and age, that men, in effect, did everything. So I think we can say that Lewis, on the one hand, fitted into the social expectations of his day, but at the same time, he seems to have been undermining it from within. So it's complex. And I guess another accusation that's sometimes levelled against Lewis is that he's racist. I mean, do you think there's anything that would suggest that in this space tr trilogy? 
Well, here's how I think we ought to approach this question. Supposing we say the inhabitants of other planets are to be seen as different races, what sort of attitudes towards them do we find in, for example, um, either the silent planet or Perilandra? And it's not, um, oh, these are below us, something like that. It, it's very much um, we need to learn about these. But it, it's, 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 it's a complex matter because um, there's a kind of colonial agenda behind Lewis's writing. And by, I don't mean by that Lewis himself is colonialist. What he's clearly articulating is we need to work out whether we on Earth can find somewhere else to live. And therefore, you know, um, that involves some degree of colonization. That's, that's an issue which H.G. Wells raised in uh, The War of the Worlds, where the Martians are going to colonize Earth. And Lewis actually is reflecting all that in um, either the Silent Planet. And my own view is that actually in Isle of Silent Planet, Lewis is critiquing the kind of colonialist view of H.G. Wells and saying it doesn't have to be like that. But again, um, Lewis was very much shaped by the worldview of his day and age in 1930s Britain. And I'm afraid we do see some aspect of that. It's very, very hard for a writer to step outside their own experience world and anticipate what writers a hundred years from then would actually be thinking. Yeah, because there's some language, isn't there? I mean, it's it's quite often not ransom. It's quite often Western or divine who talk about the white man's burden, the blessings of civilization. As you say, there's that kind of colonialism, imperialism sort of undercurrent to everything that's going on. But but do you think that Lewis is perhaps trying to challenge some of that or or is is that the context within which he's writing i think what we have to do is ask um who who in this narrative does lewis present as people who are thinking in certain ways that clearly need to be challenged in my view i think um divine and particularly western do do fall into that category lewis is in effect saying that's what these people think and you need to be cautious of it. You need to be aware of it. You need to say, is this actually right? Because Lewis is trying to mount a critique of existing social conventions. And by portraying um, what was perhaps conventional social wisdom at the time as linked with darker attributes, then maybe he's saying this, this is something that we need, may need to move away from. Thank you for listening to this C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. We were hearing there from Professor Alistair McGrath talking about one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction, The Space Trilogy. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. That's premierunbelievable.com. Thank you for listening and see you next time. <laughs>